welcome into the latest edition of the show before the show podcast, the official podcast of minor league baseball. As uh, my name is Tyler Ron, joined by Sam Dyser and Benjamin Hill. What's going on, dudes? Not much. I can tell how much you guys missed me last week. I was going to cut out a very specific part of the podcast in which Ben said something along the lines of the show isn't the same without Sam and then quickly corrected himself. Yeah. No, actually, this might be the best edition. Right. We can forget about that one. Right, 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 right. We were hoping that you were going to make that your voicemail. I mean, it might be my pinned tweet very shortly. <laughs> yeah, if I'll, I can get to the editing equipment fast enough. All you need is the pull quote, you know, some just some, uh, you know, skillfully deployed ellipses and you can you can make quotes mean anything <laughs> yeah. you want. That is true. That is true. That's, That's how uh, Ben got his quote or uh, his pinned tweet from Bill Murray. It was... <laughs> <laughs> That, that also um, tells you the, the the status of our two accounts. Ben's pin tweet will be Bill Murray, you know, star of, of screen saying, I only follow Ben Hill. Mine will just be Ben Hill saying nice things about me. Yeah. <laughs> it's a resi- it all flows downhill. What, what's a big <laughs> get for Ben is. I was going to say by the transitive property, that means that Bill Murray also endorses you. Yeah. I think yeah. that's what the transitive property means. I think that's, that. I'm definitely going with that. Obviously. It has to. I'm an expert on the transitive property. <laughs> So welcome into the latest edition of the show before the show. Uh, you can find us uh, wherever you found us and give us a rating and a review and a subscription on Apple Podcasts and Google Play and uh, get in touch with the show podcast at MILB.com. We have a, uh, a serious topic to get to, which is, uh, of course, earlier this week, tornadoes devastated large portions of Kentucky, including uh, an area in which uh, one of our uh, longtime uh, participants in the podcast uh, franchise in Bowling Green, Kentucky, the Bowling Green Hot Rod where they reside and uh so we're going to check in on bowling green um ben and sam i was i was present for this interview with eric leach the general manager of the bowling green hot rods but um just kind of listening and taking it all in because you guys were doing such a great job of uh, getting to this story. Bowling Green is um, right now doing everything possible to help out um, with the community. The hot rods are, I should say, uh, to help out with their community, which was affected by these tornadoes. Um, ben, just kind of give us the the update on where things stand right now, and, and we're going to get right into this interview. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll hear most of all of this in the interview. Um but, you know, we'll reiterate right off the top that, uh, you know, the Bowling Green's uh, front office staff, the, the Hot Rods front office staff uh, are all okay, and the ballpark itself is okay, but you don't have to go far from the ballpark, you know, less than a mile to see huge dis- destruction, destroyed homes, destroyed businesses, and uh, when a minor league team is so close to that level of destruction, rest assured, the minor league team is going to get involved, so we're talking to Eric Leach about just that. There were devastating tornadoes uh, last week and Bowling Green, Kentucky was an area that was certainly affected. And uh, now the community is dealing with the cleanup uh, during an emotional, uh, tiring and traumatic time. And uh, the minor league baseball team is there to help the Bowling Green Hot Rods. So we got a special guest today, Eric Leach, the general manager of the Bowling Green Hot Rods, uh, to talk about what's going on in Bowling Green right now. Eric, thanks so much for being with us. Absolutely, guys. So to start, um, if you can just tell us uh, what was your experience uh, when the tornadoes hit and, uh, you know, just what it was like to to experience uh, a storm of that magnitude. Yeah, it, uh, it happened Saturday morning at uh, one o'clock in the morning. And obviously at that point, my wife and I and family were completely asleep. Uh, but thanks to uh, the sirens and, and more importantly, Apple, uh, the emergency management alarms on our phones went off. And uh, it, that sat us up immediately, uh, quite loud. 
grab the kids. And uh, we're lucky enough that we have a basement. Uh, so many here in Kentucky don't because of the rich limestone and, and all the rocks. Uh, it's difficult to have basements. So we immediately got the family in the basement, turned on the news and uh, the news, they were giving updates. And all of a sudden you saw half the town go black. The other half went black and then the news broadcast went out. Uh, and so we were fortunate where I, we lived that we had no damage. But at that point, the realization is something's going on. Uh, internet was out. And so you had no way of really finding out what was going on until Saturday morning. You woke up and you started getting reports that uh, a tornado ripped through right by downtown about uh, a mile from where the ballpark is. And so immediate thing for us was to start to check on our staff. And very fortunate, we had a couple of folks living two blocks away from where the heart of the damage was. Uh, they had trees down, but every one of our staff was okay. Then from there, stadium was fine. And then you head into, okay, how do we help? Uh, and throughout that process and, and try and dissect, how can the hot rods be part of the healing process and help out the community? Yeah, and that leads uh, you know directly to my next question is, uh, after the fortunate news that, of course, you and your family and, and the, the staff is okay, um, how do you regroup and develop a plan uh, to then help the community? Because there must be, you know, so much going on, uh, so much to take into consideration. But at the same time, given the, you know, the ballpark and uh, front office, uh, their connection to the community, it seems like uh, it's a very good organization to really uh, play a meaningful, meaningful role in the wake of a disaster like this. Yeah, we reached out to city leaders and uh, immediately they said, please stay away. Uh, FEMA's coming in. Um, there's a disaster area uh, and they wanted to cordon it off. But uh, the staff members that we had that had down trees, um, you know, we got together and, you know, uh, had some chainsaws and had hands. So we helped our staff members get their yards cleaned up and their neighbor's yards cleaned up. Uh, and I took my 11 year old son because uh, as a dad, that's part of my opinion, educating, and he was complaining about internet being out. And we got done. He said, Dad, thanks. Thanks for taking me. Uh, and he said, what else can we do? And so I just started thinking, and uh, so many of the small businesses along the path were destroyed over 100 businesses. And here we are, we have all these luxury suites. It's off season. So I simply just tweeted out to any small businesses affected, uh, let us know, we'll open up our suites for you. And I didn't anticipate it taking off, but next thing you know, all night long, all I was doing was answering messages in my inbox. Uh, and so we opened it up uh, and about half of our suites are, are occupied by businesses. Some, it wasn't an ideal fit, others are. And so some of them have um, uh, a chiropractor's office. Yesterday had patients coming in here to the ballpark. And so that was one little thing uh, that we did immediately, offered our goods and services of uh, you know, food and uh, water, and then ultimately it comes down guys uh, to raise them as much funds as possible to help those who are uh, devastated. So reach out to MLB on the auctions and then our minor league brethren. Uh, and today at noon, we are launching a tornado relief uh, auction and we have about 70 plus items from around the country experiences, autographs, and hundred percent of the proceeds are going to go to help uh, victims here in Bowling Green. And Eric, how, how can people find that? Because by the time people you know, the, this podcast will be out, uh, that auction will be ongoing. So where, where's the best place for people to find that auction and, and potentially give? Yeah, bghotrods.com. Uh, and it's going to be up on landing pages uh, with MLB and MILB. And uh, it has its own spot. And there also will be a couple organizations if people 
don't necessarily want to bid on an item, but want to donate um, the Warren County Public Schools Tornado Synergy Fund and Stuff the Bus is an organization that Kyle Wolves, our AGM, is the president of nonprofit. Uh, they've already raised over $100,000 to be able to give uh, and help assist the victims. Public schools closed down this week because all those displaced are sheltering in the schools. And so that's why we're going with the Synergy Fund, because they're right there providing grief counseling, guidance, helping families out, and it immediately we'll get into the hands of the families. Yeah, and then we've talked so much about what Bowling Green is like right now um, and, and how things are looking on the ground. I don't want it to just be defined by that. We've had you on the podcast previously. We've talked about Bowling Green Hot Rods and how good they are at promos and you guys are with name changes and the like. But for those who don't know, those who have never been to Bowling Green, Kentucky, what is the community like there? So Bowling Green is actually, uh, for those who haven't been here, we're the third smallest uh, minor league market in the country. So Warren County as an entire county has about 120,000 people. And I will tell people this, um, Warren County has everything to offer. It is a tremendous community. And I'll be honest, guys, I've had opportunities to leave, but I love it here so much. And it's a great place. The one thing that we have seen, and I get chills just saying this, is how much this community has rallied around everybody. There's not a single person. Sorry, I'm going to get emotional. uh, Not a single person in town that hasn't stepped up, offered. People have left their job. They have skid skiers and they're out moving debris everybody in this town has rallied and it's an awesome testament to the community and how much uh, we genuinely care for neighbors. We're like everybody else. Everybody has problems, but uh, this town really genuinely loves one another and uh, has really rallied and stepped up in a huge way. And uh, Eric, you mentioned um, the uh, you know, renting out or not renting out, but uh, donating or letting people use uh, suites in the office, uh, letting uh, business owners uh, set up shop there, so to speak. Uh, what are other ways that the ballpark, you know, being a unique space and you know spacious within the community, uh, are there ways that that is being utilized, or ways you're planning to utilize that uh, in the coming days and weeks? Yeah, on uh, on Friday we're hosting a blood drive out here at the ballpark, and uh, within about two hours of us announcing it, every slot was filled uh, to donate blood. They are going to be taking walk-ins. Uh, And then from there, it's going to be uh, honestly just reaching out to community leaders. Uh, As we head into the winter months, it gets a little bit more difficult. But the the cleanup process on this, it's going to be six months to a year. And so there's going to continue to be needs. And as a team, we've talked about uh, various ideas uh, and and theme nights to help, you know, continue to raise money and and raise awareness for those who uh, need the assistance. Yeah, that actually brings me to what I was going to ask next is that, you know, this offseason, especially just coming off the winter meeting, so much of this time is usually spent with for you guys planning for the 2022 season, looking ahead. Um, I know that's kind of difficult to do right now to, to focus on the long term when there are so many short term needs. But how is this going to affect the way you guys look at 2022 and how you guys are going to formulate a season and potentially trying to build around this community more so than you normally do? Yeah, we're already planning on a, a special uh, game uh, and to recognize those. And, and guys, the utility line workers uh, from all over the country have flooded into Bowling Green and, and honestly, Kentucky to help try and get the power grid back up and running. Uh, and, and it's to recognize those frontline workers. And they're working 20 hour days. 
Uh, and it, unfortunately, it's currently now raining here. It's going to rain for the next three days. And they're out there trying to get power restored to everybody. And um, so we're going to do that. Outside of that, the one beauty about sports is we provide entertainment and we provide distractions. And so we're going to continue to build our promo calendar, do the things that we do to uh, enrich the community um, and and be there not just as a distraction, but as a you know beacon for the community and uh, continue to be plugged in. And speaking of community, you mentioned how the Bowling Green community uh, has uh, rallied around one another in, in such a great way. Um, but the baseball community, as far flung it is, as it is, you know, is also you know, very much a community, tight-knit, uh, people supporting each other. Uh, in terms of getting items for the auctions or just uh, you know, reaching out to other teams or uh, – hearing from people who maybe are in baseball, but, you know, aren't near Bowling Green. Um, what has been your contact like with people and colleagues all over the industry? Great question, Ben. I simply, uh, I, I wrote an email, Kyle sent it out and teams are like, absolutely hundred percent. And they jumped in uh, and, and started sending items. And it's uh, as far as Eugene to uh, teams in our league, uh, other teams. And, you know, we did uh, spend some time um, talking to various teams who have had similar situations of, of dis disasters and they offered some great guidance, but the items really flowed in. And, and what was cool was it wasn't just, Hey, I'm going to send you uh, this. I mean, they're sending some really, really cool stuff. Autograph baseball, Cal Ripken, uh, batting practice at the Durham Bulls that you can uh, be part of it and jerseys and um, Bobby Witt Jr. autographed jersey. And so some really awesome items that uh, team stepped up and uh, high-end things. And so it was, we are a big community, but we're a small community. And I can't thank them enough for stepping up and kind of rallying around us. And uh, some teams even sent money and that's awesome. But uh, Somerset Patriots went through the flooding and the hurricanes and uh, they've been a great sounding board and real huge assist to us. And getting this set up and set up really quickly uh, in a matter of days. Well, Eric, I know you're extremely busy right now uh, for very obvious reasons and uh, really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. Uh, I know before we got on the air here and started this segment, you said your office is a revolving door and I'm sure there's just uh, so much to take care of. But before we let you go, um, just to kind of maybe synthesize uh, all the things we've discussed, uh, if people listening to this want to help, um, if you could just, uh, you know, one more time, tell us uh, some of the organizations that you're involved with that you really support. And uh, once again, of course, you can also check out the auction as well. Yeah, uh, you can tap into all that at bghotrods.com. There will be a tornado relief link that'll take you to the landing page. But the Warren County Public Schools Tornado Synergy Fund and Stuff the Bus Organization are, are the two that we're partnering with. Again, because those families are uh, being housed at the school system. And, and they've got the grief counselors, they've got all the things set up, uh, two great organizations and uh, really appreciate the support. Uh, it's never something that we want to have to have the conversation about, but I appreciate you guys reaching out and being able to help spread the word. No, absolutely. I plan on making a donation later in the day and anyone listening to this podcast, uh, hope you might consider it as well. And Eric, uh, Eric Leach, General Manager of the Bowling Green Hot Rods, thanks so much again for taking the time to speak with us on the show before the show. Thanks, guys.
So a huge thanks again to Eric Leach for joining us and obviously a, a very difficult time in, uh, in Bowling Green and in Kentucky and uh, our thoughts, not just, of course, with the minor league baseball community there, but with everybody affected um, by the tornadoes. You can head to bghotrods.com um, where the relief effort, uh, the, the portion of it that the hot rods are uh, hoping to do their part with uh, is linked on that site. And I mean, that's an emotional interview. That's a, it's, we are lucky in that we so often just get to talk about the fun things. And when the real world um, comes to bear, it's, it's always tough seeing a member of the minor league community um, that is, you know, grieving lost portions of the community and deaths in the community and all of that. Um, and it's, it's really important, obviously, that we all uh, do our part to help out in circumstances like this. And um, for Eric and that team, I mean, that's a, it is a, tough um, challenge to be tasked with to help out the community, but it's pretty amazing the work that they're doing already. Yeah. And I will say, um, you know, speaking of, you know, the fun things and that's what we usually cover, you know, of course it is, but I, I do think that covering these fun things, creative things that teams do um, and visiting the ballparks whenever possible, you know, gives you a sense of connection to the place itself. So then when something bad happens, it becomes, I think more real in the sense that you say, Oh, I know people who work at, for that team, or I visited that ballpark, or I know things about that area because, Hey, the Bowling Green hot rods, um, you know, often change their name to the bootleggers. And there's a, you know, a wide history of a uh, whiskey and whiskey distilleries in the area, or they were the sinkholes once. And that was because they, uh, the Corvette museum collapsed in a sinkhole and these classic cars were swallowed up. And uh, when they had to name the team contest, uh, one of the options was cave shrimp because there were blind cave shrimp that lived in the underground caves, which then also do contribute to the sinkholes and on and so on and so forth. But I do think uh, learning about minor league baseball, it's a point I talk about a lot, you know, it makes you know so much about the country and about these different places. And I think, you know, in its own way, increases empathy when things are not going well or when a disaster strikes because you have more of a connection to that place. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, you heard about Eric talk about it in there about what Meyer Lee or what the Bowling Green community is like in its best days. Um, but the my hope for this podcast and particularly Ben for what you do, you've always said what you do is essentially, you know, look for America through the prism of minor league baseball. Um, and that these discussions that we have on these shows, these topics that we cover on, on these various places across the country, coast to coast, uh, even internationally in some cases. Uh, is kind of a leaping off point for some of you folks in terms of finding out more about these places, whether it's through an alternate identity or a name change or a, an event that's going on there. Um, yes, it's all tied back to baseball. It's all tied back to the ballpark. But in a broader sense, it's tied into the region and what that region is like. Uh, and you know, hopefully you learn a little bit of something about them. So when something like this happens, you know more about Bowling Green than just it's the tornado area uh, from 2021. Um, so, you know, you, you heard what Eric said there, uh, about places that need help right now, uh, best ways to do that. Um, again, we implore you to check out their website and, and find out those avenues and, and, you know, would love to hear that somebody on this podcast or somebody listening to this podcast, won that Bobby Witt Jr. Jersey, something like that won the batting round at, uh, Durham Bulls park. Like there, there's so many cool opportunities for there. If you want to continue looking at this through a baseball sense, the, the way the baseball community is around, uh, you know, circled around the Bowling Green hot rods to try to help has been really cool. So there's so many ways to help here. Um, do implore you to check all those out. 
Yeah. So again, bghotrods.com is where you can find that information. And a huge thanks to Eric for joining the show. Um, so we continue along in this week's episode of the show before the show. And of course, we're in a, a quieter time of the calendar for minor league baseball and for baseball news and all of that. Uh, we still have ballpark guides rolling out uh, on the sites at MLB.com and MILB.com. Um, ben and I each had one in recent days slash uh, the last couple of weeks, I guess. Ben, what's your latest? Well, my latest, uh, set to appear any moment now, is my hope, is the Delmarva Shorebirds, uh, who play at Purdue Stadium, uh, technically full name Arthur W. Purdue Stadium. And um, it's a ballpark I've been to twice through the years, uh, built in 1996, so it's 25 years old now. A um, lot of recent renovations to, you know, kind of ensure its long-term future and a, a cool thing from a fan perspective is that they've added a 360 degree concourse, you know, wrapping the concourse deck all the way around the outfield. So, um, you know, that's a really cool thing as opposed to just being able to roam from, you know, foul pole to foul pole more or less. And, uh, you know, Delmarva Shorebirds, you know, you hear that name and um, you might not get a sense of where that team is necessarily. Delmarva is of course a portmanteau. I hope I'm pronouncing that, uh, that word right up, portmanteau of Delaware, Maryland, and Virginia. The shorebirds are specifically related in Maryland, or located in Maryland, uh, more specifically on the Eastern shore of Maryland in Salisbury, Maryland. And um, the reason that they are Arthur W. Purdue Stadium is because, uh, well, Purdue headquarters, Chicken is across the street. Arthur W. Purdue is the founder of Purdue Chicken and his son, Frank, um, played a huge role in getting the team to that area 25 years ago in terms of, uh, you know, donating land and money and connecting business and political leaders and kind of creating the circumstances where a ballpark could be bit, built, excuse me, on uh, Maryland's eastern shore uh, because there hadn't been minor league baseball in that area for uh, over 40 years, close to 50 years before the shorebirds came to town. And uh, also that area is part of what has to be one of the most clustered farm systems in all of minor league baseball, probably the Cleveland Indians only rival it, but in Baltimore, Cleveland uh, guardians, Oh, Cleveland guardians, excuse me, muscle memory, the Cleveland guardians, um, Baltimore Orioles, low a Delmarva shorebirds. They go there to high a Aberdeen iron birds, also in Maryland from there to double a Bowie Bay Sox, also in Maryland then to the Norfolk Tides in Virginia, but not far away, and then finally Baltimore itself. So a uh, few fans of a major league team are as well positioned to traverse the entire farm system uh, than those who root for the Baltimore Orioles. And Delmarva is you know, where that journey begins for the players and uh, a fun place to visit. And um, like almost every minor league ballpark, or let's just say like every minor league ballpark, I'd recommend checking it out if you haven't been there before. Their signature food item is the Sherman's Gelati, which doesn't sound totally exciting, but man, I've been there twice and both times the line for that was crazy. Sherman is the shorebird mascot and the Gelati is the same color as Sherman himself, you know, uh, very orange with the orange sherbet and swirled with, uh, you know, vanilla and uh, big time thing there in Delmarva. You go to Purdue Stadium, got to get the Gelati. I was going to say, Tyler, as the resident Italian person here have you had a, a stadium gelati before um oh man that's a good question i don't know if i have uh i mean i'm sure at some ballpark somewhere along the line i've had i've had gelato at a stadium but 
I feel like I ordinarily go for just like the standard ballpark soft serve. Right. Well, yeah, that, that was going to be my next question is like, is gelati even a thing you guys typically have? Definitely not out here. Definitely not out here. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like it's uh, it's relatively clustered too. I mean, you know, there are places where you can get it, but not like authentic, you know, East Coast uh, gelati. It doesn't really exist um, out this far west. But um, yeah, maybe that's the next. Uh, now we have to explore which ballparks uh, include uh, gelato among their frozen treat uh accommodations at the at the concessions area um i'm into any and all ice cream options so i think it's all i think it's all smart um i have the uh the quad cities river band it's coming up as my next ballpark guide which similarly to ben we believe will be published any minute um quad cities was cool because i actually got a chance to go there this summer my dad and i took a trip to the field of dreams finally after talking about it for years and years and um we uh went to quad cities and uh got to catch a river bandits game and it's one of those ballparks that you're so used to just seeing pictures of with the big uh the the bridge out beyond right field that connects uh iowa with illinois next door across the mississippi river and uh the big ferris wheel and left field and all that and showing up there it is just as cool of a ballpark uh, as you would imagine and i thought that modern woodman park was relatively new it is not. It was built in 1931, uh, and it certainly has been updated and, and upgraded and all of that over the years. Um, but it's a, a place that has been really the epicenter of the uh, community sports scene um, in that area in Davenport, Iowa, and in the Quad Cities area for uh, the last you know 90 years now. And um, that was very cool. One thing that was kind of interesting to note about that is the Quad Cities River Bandits. They're bringing their concessions in house next year. Um, so what right now in that ballpark guide looks like, uh, you know, kind of um, some very standard fair offerings in Quad Cities that could be uh, changing to a big degree with some cool stuff possibly unveiled for 2022 and beyond. Uh, but man, what a cool spot that is in Quad Cities. Davenport is a very cool town and there is a lot of really neat stuff around there. Um, obviously, you know, as noted, you're a pretty short drive from the Field of Dreams, but also just some really cool Mississippi River um, culture, you know, some neat uh, historic areas, some neat natural areas. Um, there is a, a state park not too far away that uh, is a, a cave system. It's connected by a six and a half mile trail system that uh, goes through all these different caves and bluffs and, and cool areas and um, the restaurants and the breweries and um, you know, Whitey's ice cream, which is a legendary stop in Davenport and elsewhere. Um, it's a neat spot. Uh, Quad Cities, if you're if you find yourself in Iowa in the summertime or crossing the country or whatever, that's definitely a, a stop that is uh, very much worthwhile. And that was a fun one. So that one will be up on the site. I'm also working on Winston-Salem. I'm waiting on uh, some photos from the dash. I'll have that one up coming up soon. Ben, what do you have next? I'm staying in the Baltimore farm system and uh, working on Bowie Bay Sox right now, Prince George's Stadium. And uh, Tyler, to briefly go back to Quad Cities, one thing that I've always found interesting about Quad Cities, um, not necessarily the ballpark itself, is that for decades, the Quad Cities have actually been the Quint Cities. Right. And there have been attempts to kind of say, let's call it the Quint Cities now, but now referring to the Quad Cities actually means essentially referring to five cities, but it's still called the Quad Cities. And that's just one of those things. And off the top of my head, what is it? Davenport, Moline and East Moline, Rock Island and Bettendorf? Bettendorf. That's the one that I can never remember. Yes. My goodness, I impressed myself. <laughs> nice um, so the Quad Cities River Bandits represent those five cities 
And Quad Cities essentially means Quint Cities, but people just still say Quad. Very important to note that. Well, and, and what's kind of interesting too, they used to be known as the Quad City River Bandits, and then they changed the name to Quad Cities, plural. Um, and that's kind of gone back and forth throughout uh, the history of not only that franchise, but previous franchises in that area. Um, and yeah, a really, a really interesting, uh, cool little part of the country that I had never been through. Um, and I'm very glad that we made that trip this summer. Yeah. And re- real quick, um, before we move on, just one thing that's always stood out from like watching games and seeing pictures of that place is just the backdrop mm-hmm. you know, to, the, to the outfield. Is it as impressive in person? Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, especially being somebody who comes from the Western part of the country, we don't have big rivers out here. And every time I see the Mississippi river in person, it's like, Oh wow, yeah, this is now I get it. I get the the fuss about the the Mississippi River. Um, I mean it right field backs up to the Mississippi. Um, you know, kind of similarly to a, a minor league version of uh of McCovey Cove in San Francisco. It's a river instead of a, a bay, but um it goes, you know, right up to the water, basically, which is why you know you've seen pictures of when the, the Mississippi floods, uh, you see pictures of that area with the the ballpark kind of in the middle as a little island uh, uh, among floodwaters. I mean, it's that close to the river. And you hit a home run out to right field if it gets out past the uh, – the, there's a small berm in right field in some elevated seating areas. If it clears that, it's going to end up in the river, um, which is pretty cool. But it is just a very impressive backdrop uh, because there is nothing out there to divert your focus from the game. Um, you know, there, I love a, a skyline backdrop. I love a mountain backdrop, whatever, but it's kind of cool having a ballpark that just backs up to nothing except that water. Um, and you can see Illinois on the other side, of course, and, uh, and all that, but you know, between the Ferris wheel and the, and the bridge, uh, which I believe is called Centennial bridge, which goes Centennial bridge. And yeah. Tyler, as I believe you point out in the ballpark guide, uh, the ballpark, predates the bridge yeah it's older than the bridge the bridge was built i believe in the early 1940s the ballpark dates back to 1931 um so that's kind of cool you wouldn't expect that at all um but man it is it is such a neat little spot and uh it's one of those places you know you don't necessarily think like well eastern iowa that's a place that i want to go back to uh after making a trip you figure you check it off your list and that's that but now especially uh you know after talking with the river bandits and, and dave heller their owner um, for this ballpark guide. Now I've got like a list of all these other things that I want to do. If I make it back out there, Galena, Illinois is not far away. That's the home of Ulysses S grant. Uh, it's also a town that has, uh, a preserved downtown area from the 19th century that stood in as Chisel, Minnesota in field of dreams. Uh, and apparently is just jaw droppingly, uh, beautiful with, you know, the old brickwork and, um, you know, the way the, the streets kind of wind around in this downtown area and all of that. So that's very much my stuff. Uh, I want to check that out. There's, there's cool old supper clubs apparently nearby. Um, yeah, it's a neat area. It's a really cool little area. And, uh, if you find yourself in that area in, in Western Illinois or in, uh, in Eastern Iowa, make a stop in Davenport, do yourself a favor. As my mom yeah, said. get a pork tenderloin, hit the pork tenderloin trail, those sandwiches. When I went to a river bandits game last, they had those. Um, and they probably will again, I assume, but those are, uh, so well-known in that in Iowa in particular. And if you haven't seen a pork tenderloin sandwich, look, look them up because the bun only really is able to cover about 40% of the tenderloin. Yeah, itself. that is true. That is true. We should not have done this podcast so close to lunch. This is <laughs> driving me up a wall. As hey, I sit hey. here in middle of Manhattan without a pork tenderloin. Hey, I so. have celiac disease. I'll never eat a pork tenderloin. But I just bring my love of the idea of it 
to the masses because I'm a very selfless individual. Yeah, you'll just torture the rest of us here. We're oh, podcasting man. on empty stomachs. So that's what's coming up and uh, what is already up with the ballpark, guys, as uh, we get set to uh, put the finishing touches on this week's episode of the show before the show. Josh Jackson swings by and we'll be back to wrap it up coming up next. this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of ghosts of the miners now here's your correspondent and host joshua jackson welcome back to ghosts of the miners in which all of you out there in radio land must identify the legitimate historical ball club hiding amidst the fraudulent pair one was the real mccoy the others are mere MacGuffins. in the last segment i asked you which of the following minor league baseball teams did at one time exist a the apache junction doglegs B, the Hamilton Pigtails. C, the Portland Webfoots. I won't call you a filthy animal if you guessed A or B, but the correct answer is C, the Portland Webfoots, who looked like a duck, swam like a duck, and sometimes played ball like a duck in the old Pacific Northwest League in 1892, 1898, 1901, and 1902. Occasionally known as the Web the Portland Club adopted as its moniker the contemporary slang for a person happy living in a wet climate. Whether you think of them as avian or mammalian, those teams appeared calm and unruffled on the surface, but paddled like the devil underneath. After finishing second in the first two marches of the Webfoots, Portland flew away with the circuit in 01, featuring Joe Tinker, he of the Hall of Fame and baseball's sad lexicon, and managed by Jack Grimm, that flock of Webfoots ducked no challenge, going 73-35 and 35 to pace the league by nearly 30 games. But Portland was adrift the next year, smothering the Spokane Smoke Eaters and catching the Tacoma Tigers, but failing to get control of the Helena Senators, getting buried by the Seattle Clam Diggers, and never surfacing to the level of the Butte Miners. When the Pacific Northwest League reorganized as the Pacific National League for 1903, the Webfeet had kicked their last stroke. They were shortly thereafter replaced in the hearts of Oregon baseball fans by another web-footed franchise that kept the Portland pro baseball scene busy. Leave it to the Beavers, the damnedest team in the Pacific Coast League from the early 20th century into the 21st. And that's the Arch of the Webfoots. Now, on to the question for next time. Which of these vegetable-craven clubs was short-lived in the miners of yesteryear? A. The Patterson Lettuce Crunchers B. The Davenport Onion Weeders C. The Colleen Pea Snappers Want to know the answer? Consult a cucumber. Or tune into the next Ghosts of the Miners. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer Ben Hill is trying to break into motion pictures, and the studio walls are too high.
Final segment of this week's episode of the show before the show. Again, a massive thanks to Eric Leach from the Bowling Green Hot Rods for joining us. You can visit bghotrods.com to contribute to the relief efforts for uh, the areas in Kentucky affected by the tornadoes. And uh, we're getting set to say goodbye. Big thanks to Josh Jackson, of course, as well, for stopping by with Ghost of the Miners. Um, Next week, our final episode of the calendar year as we wrap up year number eight, seven for this podcast. 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. Seven years of this podcast, not seven full. I think we started in like April, but um, that's kind of crazy. What's uh, what are we going through next week, Samuel? I was going to say, does that mean we have a doctorate in podcasting or is that still a master's degree? <sighs> I think we get a doctorate now. We can, we can declare ourselves doctors. In yeah. 2022. That's it's all easily. Up. easily. Um, yeah. So next week we'll just be wrapping up the year. That was a year that saw minor league baseball return uh, across the country, which was a big deal in, in an altered form. Obviously lots of new things happened this year we'll kind of review it all and, and look forward to what's happening in 2022 and, and what we can kind of take from this new year of change and return and, and you know carry that forward to next year so we'll, we'll be back to wrap up the year that was preview the year that is to come and uh yeah and then we'll be back at it in 2022 so for benjamin hill and sam dykstra my name is tyler Mon, and for the final time in 2021 next week we'll talk to you then